If you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Let's start there this morning. Genesis chapter 1. It shouldn't take you too long to find that one. About the first page and you'll be there. Genesis chapter 1. Now let me tell you what I am going to do this morning. I'm, what I'm preaching on is, I'm really preaching on chapters 1, 2, and 3. I'm really preaching on three chapters. Uh, I don't think that it's probably the right thing for me to do right now in this setting to read all three of those chapters in their entirety. So, that's your assignment for this afternoon, right? You go home and, and read. Really, there's no reason to stop at the end of chapter 3. Go right on through 4, and, and 5 might slow you down a little bit, but it gets interesting again by the time you get to chapter 6. But anyways, I'm going to preach on the first three chapters, and I'm just going to read a few select verses that I believe are key to those chapters and key to the things that I'm going to be talking about this morning, all right? So Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. If you go down towards the end of the chapter and you look at verses 26 and 27, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, uh, created he him. I'm not particularly preaching on this, but I want you to hear it. Male and female Amen. created he the helm. Don't understand why that's so hard to understand today. If you go to chapter 2 and you look at verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. So we have, we have in chapter 1, we have the creation of, of everything that is living. In chapter 2, he zooms in to one part there of day 6 of creation. And specifically the creation of the man and of the woman. And I'll read that to you here. Let's go to verse 16. And verse 17. Well, I'll read it to you here in a minute. We need to get this part while we're here. Chapter 2, verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now if we go down to verse 21, we see the creation of, of woman. Verse 21 says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And then if we go on 
to chapter 3. And we look at verse 6. It says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant in the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, or did give also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And then if we look down at verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Let me stop right there for now. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you here one more time this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day. We thank you, Lord, for the good week we've had. We thank you for the blessings you've poured out on us. We thank you for our church family. Thank you for each one who's made the effort to come out and worship you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the roof you put over our head, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have uh, to be able to openly gather here without any kind of fear of persecution. We thank you, Lord, for each one who fought, each one who bled, each one who died, each one who sacrificed so that we might have that freedom. But we know ultimately it's a gift from you, and we give you all the glory. We thank you, Lord, above every these, each and every one of these things, recognizing that even every breath that we draw is a gift from you. But we thank you most of all this morning for your son, Jesus. Lord God, that you send him and give him so that we might have life and have that life eternally and abundantly. God, we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We couldn't do anything to even repay you. We couldn't even thank you enough, not in a million years. And God, you knew that, but you've done it anyways. So Lord, let us be a people who never takes that lightly and never takes that for granted, but always has praise and glory on our lips for you because you alone are worthy of it. And Lord, let me pray for our service specifically here this morning. God, move in a mighty way. We've been seeking you for revival. I believe you're sending it to us. God, we desire to be the people that you've called us to be. We desire to be separate from the world. We desire to be holy as you are holy. God, we desire to see the lost come to you. We desire to see souls added to your kingdom. We desire to see people saved, set free from the bondages of sin. God, we desire your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So God, that's what we're asking for in our service as well here this morning. For your will to be done right here in this service just as it is in heaven. God, have your way and your will in our midst. Move in a mighty way. God, stir our hearts, knit us together here this morning. God, let your holy presence be felt here in a mighty way. God, I'm asking, Lord, that you would search the hearts and minds of each one that is here. Lord, if there's anything in our life, anything in our heart that would hinder the moving of your spirit this morning, that would hinder your work and our service and our worship and hinder your work in our lives and in our homes, God, let today be the day, Lord, that you would convict us of it. Pour out that whole time Holy Ghost conviction upon us. And God don't give us any peace until we repent and get things right with you because that is the most important thing. Our relationship with you, our walk with you. So God, have your way and your will here this morning. 
And we're going to give you all the glory because we love you and we worship you and we praise your holy name. And Lord, let me ask one last thing. I need help here this morning. I fall short. I'm not worthy. I know those things. But Lord, in spite of those things, I'm asking, Lord, that you would use me here this morning one more time to preach your word. Preach your message in a way that pleases you and glorifies you. So I'm asking that you clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very words you'd have me to speak. Lord, my desire is from it, for it to come from, uh, from your throne through my spirit to theirs. God, like one, like one dying man to another. Lord, anoint me from on high. And I'll give you every bit of the glory for it. We love you this morning. We worship you. We praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. In the book of Genesis, you see the beginning, right? You see the beginning of everything, right? In chapter 1, we see, the, we see day 1, day 2, day 3, 4, 5, 6, right? We see different things being created in each one of those days, right? Which represents the creation of everything from, from the heavens and the earth to the, the, you know, to the, to the sky, to the, uh, to the dry land, the, you know, the atmosphere. We see all of the, uh, the creatures of the sea and the creatures of the air and the creatures of the land created and we see man created in the image of God. Mankind is what I mean by that. When we go to uh, chapter 2, we see, so that's the first of really everything created. We see in chapter 2, right, we, as I mentioned a minute ago, it zooms in on day 6, on the creation of man, right? And so we're getting that account again, but in, in chapter 1 we had it in general and brief overall and in chapter 2 we're getting some specific details right the ones that is pertinent to us that's why they're recorded there the ones having to do uh, with man and so we see the creation of the first male and female first man and the first woman Adam and Eve in chapter 3 we see the first sin and then again in chapter 3, we see the first redemption. I read verse uh, 21, I believe it was. Yes, 21 in chapter 3 for a reason. It says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Maybe I need to explain for a minute. In case... You've not read this before, or it's been a while and you don't remember clearly all the detail. Chapter 1, chapter 2, right? We, we, we've seen the creation of, of Eden, right? <clears throat> That's the first home, right? It's created, it's paradise, it's perfect. Man and woman are placed there, right? <clears throat> chapter Beginning in chapter 3, we see Satan. We see the deceiver, right? The fallen angel, Lucifer. We see him enter in, right? We see him enter in through the serpent, right? We see him, the first deception takes place, right? As he deceives Eve. You, you remember how that, you remember how all that went, right? He, he, he makes a comment about this beautiful garden and, you know, can you eat of everything here? And the woman says, well, we eat of everything except for that tree over there in the middle. 
We can't eat of it. We can't even touch it. Well, that's not what God said exactly, but anyways, there's a fence been built around it, you know. And so anyways, uh, Satan uses the same trick and tactic that he uses today. He says, yes, God said... Right? He questions the word of God. He plants a seed of doubt saying, is that really what God said? Are you sure about that? So what happens? She sees that it's good to eat and she partakes of it. Her husband, Adam, which we find out should have been protecting her, should have, should have, he should have, he should have stopped this thing. He should have stopped that old snake in the head from the very beginning. But he stands there and he listens to all of it. Because we find out he's been standing there the whole time. <laughs> Don't need an amen from back there. <laughs> and he partakes of it. And he eats. The first sin has taken place. They have intentionally disobeyed God. Their innocence is lost. They realize that now for the first time they realize that they are naked. This nakedness, they're being either exposed before God in the world. It represents the sin, right? So what do they do? They try to cover their sin. Ain't that human nature? Ain't that what we do too? I can remember as a, as a well, beyond, as a child too, but beyond that, as a teenager and a young adult, I had one person in my life, my grandmother, my father's mother. Uh, she was a good, godly woman, and if there was anybody in the world that I did not want to disappoint, now I'm talking, this is when I was a lost man, if there was anybody that I did not want to disappoint, it was her. And I never tried any harder around anybody to cover my sins than around her. And I got the feeling it didn't do any more good than what it did when they tried to cover their sins. Right? They tried to make them some clothes out of fig leaves. Right? They're trying to cover their sin with, with something that's made by man. And you know as well as I do how well them fig leaves, how good a job they're going to do covering their nakedness, how durable they're going to be, and how long they're going to last. Isn't that everything manufactured by man? Everything worked up by man, right? You want to know why we've been seeking God for this revival and we've been praying? Uh, because we're not looking for something manufactured by man. We're looking for something heavenly to take place. So, the fig leaf trick. I mean, what did they really think? Did they think God was going to show up that night and say, Boy... That's some good-looking duds you got on there. That looks sharp. Where can I get me a set of those? Do they think God was going to show up and not notice that they're wearing leaves now? Man, in all of his wisdom, do you see how foolish it is before God? I believe if you was to go over and read the first chapter of the first Corinthians, you would see Paul talks about that just a little bit, the right, the foolishness of man, right, and the wisdom of God. So there's a confrontation that happens that takes place. They try to hide from God. 
and this conference say, you know, God calls out to them. They come out, right? They're totally exposed before God. God knows everything. When God asked them the question, who told you you were naked? Wasn't because God didn't know what had happened. Right? They were confessing what they had done. He's drawing that confession out from And so they tell him what they've done. And then God lays out for them what the consequences. What it's going to mean to live in a, as a fallen man and a fallen woman in a fallen world. What I mean by fallen is, is a world that now, that was perfect and had sin, is now no longer perfect, and is now sin has come into it, and it's going to continue to grow and permeate through everything else. With sin comes death, decay, and destruction, and everything that comes about that. And the result, look, at our, look around you today. There is the result And so God spells out in detail the consequences. You can read that this afternoon. The consequences of the decision that they have made to disobey God. But the reason I read verse 21 is it said God made them a a coat of skins. Clothing of skins. Animal skins. Do you realize how he got those? Somebody had to die. An innocent animal, uh, I think it was a lamb. Even though the scripture doesn't specifically tell us that there, that's what I think it was. An innocent lamb that had never sinned, that had never done anything wrong. Its blood had to be shed. There's no other way of getting the skin off that thing. It's going to bleed and it ain't going to make it. Because of their sins. In order to cover their sins. Of course, we know that covering was just temporary. That was just temporary. But God, see, there, but the reason I, I took the time to explain this, there is the, fir- the beginning of the first redemption. Right? God is laying it out. He's showing them because of your sin, because of what you've done, something innocent has got to die. Of course, that is all pointing to Christ, to Jesus, right? Right? The only man to have never sinned has become sin for you and I. That is beyond my grasp and my understanding. But that is exactly what has happened. That's how it's laid out. You can read in the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It gives that. That's probably the best place that it phrases that and lays that out for us. But anyways, he bore our sins, right? He took our punishment for our sins. So that we could be redeemed. So that one day we could be made right with God. So we could receive the forgiveness, right? Right, because we know from the book of Hebrews, right, the blood of bulls and goats, that wasn't going to do the trick. That was just pointing towards Christ. That was just rolling it around one more year, one more year at a time, waiting for the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, Jesus, to come and to die for the sins of the world. Because God's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And so we've got all that in the first three chapters. And then in chapter 4, we've got the first murder. 
right? First parents didn't do so hot with the first children. I guess I should have said that one. There's a, you know, we got Adam and, and uh, or Adam, we got Abel and Cain there, and, and, you know, Cain killed his brother Abel. Chapter 5, we've got some genealogy. Chapter 6, we got the first rain, right? First rain, first boat that the Bible talks about anyway. So first flood. My point is, is the book of Genesis is a book of firsts. Book of beginning. Matter of fact, that's what Genesis means. So when we have all of these things and many more that are taking place in the book of Genesis. I want to come back for a minute and make sure that you understand that the Garden of Eden that I talked about a while ago, that that is man's first home. And that that first home was in perfect harmony. I want you to know that in the beginning, Adam and Eve lived exactly as God created them to live. I want you to understand that they accepted their role that was given to them by God, right? You don't have Adam saying, I want to be an Eve, and Eve saying, I want to be an Adam, or no crazy nonsense like that. Or one of them saying, I'm neither, I'm something else. <laughs> Nobody's putting on cat ears and running around. Oh, my. I'm sorry, it is sad and it breaks my heart, but at the same time, I, sometimes I laugh. They accepted their role that God had given them. They totally submitted to it. They submitted to God. They submitted to where God had put them and what he had given them to do. They live for God and not themselves. That's the key. That's the heart of it. Right? When you see all this craziness and nonsense going on today, well, I mean, my goodness, if there was ever a time we needed revival, if there was ever a time the church needed to rise up, if there was ever a time that the gospel of Jesus Christ needed to be shouted from the rooftops and the street corners, it's now. Problem is... People, instead of living for God, they're living for themselves. And what we see today is the results. That's the fruit of that. You know, there was once perfect peace, harmony, and love in that first home. But all that became, after sin entered in, it became discord. And it became hate. It become lust, and it become envy. And understand to me, all of this happened because sin entered into that first home. Do you realize this morning when when I talk about churches, I'm talking about each local body, like like sitting right here this morning. They're made up of a certain number of homes, right? All of you all have got homes. Nobody here homeless, I don't think, this morning. All of us, we've got homes. We've got our own family units and places that we call home that we go back to. And I want you to understand, right, I'm, I'm trying, I think the Lord through me is trying to help prepare us for revival. And I want you to understand this morning that a church that is experiencing revival is doing so because the homes, all the homes that make up that church, that are a part of uh, that church, is experiencing revival in their home. 
The homes are in harmony together. And when the harmony in the home is disrupted, so is the harmony in the church. In a church that, a church, it's just as simple as this. A church cannot have revival if the families that make up that church, that make up those homes, are not willing to have revival also. That's why I say so often it begins right here with you and me in our hearts. It starts with us. Uh, Listen to me. Revival will not, true heaven sent Holy Ghost revival will not uh, be only at the church house, but it will take place in all those homes that make up the, the church family 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Revival will be happening in those homes. Mom and dad will be acting different than what they used to. Amen? So my point that I want to bring to you this morning is that revival must begin in the home. Revival must begin in the home, right? Sin came to the home first. I hope I explained that to you well enough to understand just a moment ago. Sin came to the home first. Therefore, sin must be dealt dealt with in the home first. Look, we can cry and we can beg and we can, uh, we can pray and we, you know, for revival all we want, but it will not come until we first deal with the sin that is in our homes. I see God moving. I feel like we're right on the cusp, I mean, of real revival, really breaking out and sweeping through not only our homes and our church, but the churches around here, the community, the land. But we're going to have to deal with the sin that's in our homes. Unfortunately, God has been removed from his rightful place in most homes. And until complete um, fellowship is restored with God in the home, revival will not come. See, when sin come into the home, the first home in the Garden of Eden, fellowship with God was broken. And it took the the shedding of innocent blood for that fellowship to be restored, right? And that is the same thing here, right? In order for our fellowship with God to be restored, we're going to have to repent and turn back to God, put our trust in the Lord. So what, what was the effects or some more of the effects of the first sin? Well, I said a minute ago it made Adam and Eve hide from God. The fellowship man had with God. Right, he walked with him and talked with him every day. How long has it been since you walked with the Lord and talked with the Lord? How long has it been since you've had real, genuine fellowship with the Lord? Some of you may be sitting there as I'm preaching this saying, Church, I'm doing, you know, preacher, I'm doing good. My family's doing good. My home is, is doing good. Praise the Lord for that. They, some of us sitting here this morning, they cannot say that, right? And every one of us sitting here, if it's not you, it's somebody close to you. I said that the fellowship with God had been broken, and prior to that, God had talked with Adam and Eve in their homes. Now that was no longer 
possible because sin had come in and all of that was broken. So really the question maybe that you're asking that needs to be answered is what is the path to revival in the home, right? How is that fellowship restored with God? How is it that we walk and that we talk and we have that close, intimate relationship with Him? How is that restored? Well, it's pretty simple. We've got to deal with the sin, but let me get a little more specific. The first thing that you've got to do is that we must acknowledge our own sin. We must acknowledge our own sin, right? You can't go nowhere unless you do that. You can't, uh, you can't get forgiveness, right? There's no repentance. There's no cleansing. There's no nothing unless at first you acknowledge your own sin. What do I mean by that, right? It, it, talking about myself, I'm going to acknowledge my own sin. That means my sin, not yours, not someone else's, but my sin, right? That means uh, we we have going to have to start taking responsibility for our own sins and stop saying it's someone else's fault. Look, that's what we do. That's what we do. We, we say it's someone else's fault because someone else did this, right? Because, uh, because of my parents, I turned out the way that I did. Because of, uh, of the world, of society, because of somebody I work with, because of my wife, my husband, my ex-wife, my ex-husband. Because of, right? I mean, that's what we do. If we acknowledge our sin, we immediately try to justify our sin. And what we're really saying is it's not all my fault. Really, I'm kind of the victim here. It's someone else's fault. No, no, it's not. It's your fault. It's my fault. I know this is probably politically incorrect today, but it was the same in my day anyways. Time to man up and own it. I don't care if you're male or female. It's time to man up. Own your sin. God already knows it. Do you think you have fooled him? Do you think he doesn't know? I mean, you're, you're traipsing around in fig leaves and you think nobody notices. Can you imagine the difference it would make in our homes? Not just in our homes, but in our churches and in our workplaces and wherever we might go. If we actually started admitting it's my fault, I did it. Nobody else's. Me. I did it. I was wrong. Right? Instead of saying, I was wrong, but so were you. That's what we do now. So we need to acknowledge our sin. And something really close to this, but is slightly different, is confess. Right? We need to confess our sin. I don't mean confess it to some person. Right? You you don't go to some priest or, or anything like that and confess your sin to them. No, 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 no. I'm talking about confessing your sin before God, confessing it to God. Now, let me, let, let me give one caveat to that. If you have done something wrong to somebody else, then you need to go and make things right with them. And the first step with that is admitting what you did wrong and taking all of the fault and the blame. Scripture tells us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive, us our, uh, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we'll come before him and we'll own it 
and we'll confess it and we'll pour our heart out and say, God, this is what I've done. Because of my own lust, because of my own, because of my own wants and my own desires, I freely chose to disobey you and to do this. That's what I mean by own it. Not come to him and say, oh God, I'm sorry I did this and this is the reason why I did this. You just justify it. Just own it. Acknowledge it. Confess it. And it says that he is just. He, he's not going to hammer you over the head. He's not going, God is not going to berate you. God is not going to make you do some sort of extra penance or go through some sort of extra punishment or something like that. My goodness, it's already been paid. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins. That's all of them from beginning to end. Every one of them you could, you've done before you got saved, the ones you've done while you were saved. Amen. They're all under the blood, right? He has paid the price for all of them. We've just got to repent and confess and ask God to forgive us. No words, accept that forgiveness. If you think you've got to do some sort of special punishment or penance, then you're saying the blood of Jesus Christ is not enough to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to cleanse you from all sin. All God is saying is just get real. Come on, boy. Get real. Get serious. Own it. Fess up to it. And I, as a loving father, will forgive you. And I will even go a step farther than that. This is what God's saying, not me. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Wipe it away. Wipe it all away. But here's the thing about that. For that to work, is we're going to have to trust. We're going to have, we must trust the Lord Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all sin. You might think that that is, you know, you might be sitting there thinking, well, duh, you just explained that. I can't tell you how many people that I have encountered and dealt with personally that don't feel like they're worthy. They don't feel like they deserve it, right? And so anyways, they, um, they just refuse to believe that God will actually forgive them of what they've actually done. But that's unbiblical, right? All that is is a lack of trust. All that is is refusing. Uh, they never get anywhere because they refuse to believe God can or will forgive their sin, right? It, they, they refuse to trust God to do what God said that he would do. Let me tell you right now, the, according to the scripture, the only unforgivable sin is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit of God. And I'll just let you in on this in case you're concerned that that's you. Uh, you wouldn't be concerned about it if you'd done it. I'm telling you right now, if you hear the words that I'm saying, if you will humble yourself before God and confess your sins, admit and confess, acknowledge and confess your sins before God and ask Him to forgive you. And if you're not saved, ask Him to come into your heart. He is faithful and He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But there's one thing after that. Coming and repenting and asking God to forgive you is not coming and saying, God, I've done this terrible thing or I do this terrible thing and I don't want to do it and I know I need you to forgive me so I'm asking you to forgive me. 
but I'm only human and you know I'm going to do it again. Now a lot of us do that. You might not say it out loud like that, but that's exactly what's in your mind. You think, I can't. I, I, I can't no longer lust or I can't no longer desire the things of the flesh and the desire of the things of the world. I, right? I have this terrible addiction, and I know that I can't set it down anymore, and I desperately want God's forgiveness. And so I come, and with a genuine heart, I repent and I ask God to forgive me, but at the same time I'm saying in my heart or in my mind that I know that I'm going to fail again. That is not what God has called us to do. We must forsake sin. That doesn't mean that you might not fail again because you very well probably will stumble, may stumble and fall again. But the same God that picked you up this time is there and faithful and just to pick you up and dust you off that time and also and to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you have got to determine in your mind that God, with your, with your help, by your power, I will no longer sin. We must forsake sin. But sadly, most people, the truth of it is, is we, we're talking about revival and what we're going to have to do to really see this revival take off and go. Sadly, most people do not want revival bad enough to do what it will take to bring revival. Most people say, oh, I'd like to see God move again in a mighty way. I'd like to see people set free from addictions and the bondage of sin. I'd like to see people living godly lives. But I'm not actually willing to let go of my sin in order for it to happen. Because my sin's not that bad, you know. Bible says to him that knoweth, that this is the end of, uh, what is it, John, or I mean James chapter 4. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him and his sin. You know what you're supposed to do. You know how God expects you to live. So many of us, we're not willing to let go of it. We're not willing to forsake it. We want the good things of God, but not bad enough to do what it takes to actually get it, to actually enjoy it. So let's look, and then I'll be done real quick. Let's take a closer look for just a moment at Adam's sin. What exactly, and I know I've talked about this some already, but what exactly was Adam's sin? Well, Adam's sin, if we want to get specific, was the sin of partaking of the forbidden. There was something forbidden, fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and Adam partook of it. And the reason I point that out is your sin and my sin is the same as Adam's sin. We've all partaken of something that God has forbidden. Now maybe, maybe it was placing worship toward the wrong God. Uh, let me stop there for a second. You might say, I would never. I would never go and worship Buddha. I would never go worship one of the hundreds or however many there is of the Hindu gods. I would never make a little wooden figure or statue and, and bow down and worship it. Listen to me. Anytime you put something between you and God, anytime something takes God's place in your life, which God places first above everything else, anytime something takes that place, right? Whether it is some little fat voodoo guy or uh, whatever his name is, 
uh, guy or some uh, wooden statue or whether it's a television set, a, a cell phone, uh, the internet, whether it is a, uh, whether it's a person, right, a, a man or a woman that you're lusting after, whether it is uh, uh, whether it's your children or your grandchildren, whatever it is, right? For many of us, that's sacred ground. And when I think preacher, you shouldn't talk about that. Look, you love your children, you give your life uh, and your grandchildren to protect them and take care of them, and you want them to be happy, and you want to spend time with them and do whatever you can, but they do not take the place of God in your life, and if they do, you make an idol out of them, and you worship them, and you know what you'll do? You'll find yourself in hell one day, and because of your actions and example you say, you've said, you more than likely paved the path for them to follow you to hell too. So maybe, maybe it's placing worship towards the wrong God. Maybe it's taking his name in vain. Maybe it's as simple as being unfaithful with your time. You know, and I said your time and money. It's his time and his money. Maybe it was uh, failing to make uh, the worship of God a priority. Maybe it was not being serious about our Bible reading and prayer. Maybe it was just plain old selfishness and pride. There could be any number of sins that you've committed. But the good news is, is that God has provided a Savior for us. He's provided a means of forgiveness for each and every one of us, for all of our sin. He has provided a path to restore our fellowship with Him. He has given us a means to revival. He has shown us His mercy. And He has granted us His grace so now we can all be partakers of His redemption. The only question left is are you willing to do what it's going to take for us to experience a true heaven sent Holy Ghost revival? Are you willing to start where you live? Are you willing to get rid of the junk that you've been carrying around in your life? Are you ready to get rid of the sin that is in your homes? Because we won't have this revival until you do. Jennifer, I don't know your hearts this morning. I don't know where you stand. I don't know what the Spirit of God has been speaking to you this morning and how he may be dealing with you. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask everyone here to rise to their feet, if you're able. And this altar is open. I'm helping you make the first step. I've asked you to rise up, but I'm not going to make you come up here. You're going to have to do that on your own. You're going to have to be willing to step out on your own and take those steps. So if you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come this morning? If the Spirit of God is dealing with your heart, would you come this morning? Look, God may be dealing with some things, and there may be some things going on in your heart and your life you don't even really understand. That's okay. That's okay. God does. I'm just asking, would you come? And would you humble yourself before Him? Would you cast your cares before Him? Would you lay your burden down in His feet? Would you cry out to Him this morning? Would you be willing to humble yourself? 
and just cry out, Oh God, help me. Oh God, reveal yourself to me this morning. Oh God, move in my life. Lord, I'm not the man that I know I ought to be. God, will you help me this morning? Whatever the need, whatever the burden, don't you miss this opportunity. Don't you wait thinking, ah, maybe tonight will be my night. No, you may not get tonight. Today is your day. Now is the day of salvation. Would you come? Would you come? Don't miss this opportunity. Would you come this morning?